1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 26, the Antonio Candreva episode. And who could forget the half a season on loan that Antonio Candreva was a part of Juventus and that season where I might add they came to the United States. They capped that wonderful season with a tour of the United States and they. Uh, they They went on to lose to the New York Red Bull at Red Bull Arena, where I was in attendance, so that was a wonderful game. but at least they got to see our friend Amari score a goal. so there's that. So on that happy note, let me bring in the usual crew here of Samuel Presti. Hello, Sam. Hey,
0: Danny, I just like i I know that the numbers are the are for the you know the gags but let's the real 26 is is of course stefan lichsteiner of course he'd, he'd probably I, we, scream
1: in my face if i did not oh god if one of us didn't him mention so much him.
0: that we had the uh, we had a joke we have a joke at the club which is how to make a door step one put stefan lichsteiner in front of a wall step two tell stefan lichsteiner run run step three hang the door <laughs> <laughs> Well, before, I also, but I, I don't know. I wanted to point uh, out one small thing because I know we're we're hitting we're going to be touching on the internationals today a little bit. But did anybody see Alvaro Morata take Timo Werner's lunch money today? Yes, that was great. Yes. That was
1: awesome. And then he he scored a goal and when immediately. He did one of those celebrations where he's about six inches away from the cam the TV camera and just <laughs> screamed his face off. So that was that was fun and uh, it's good to see him as sergio mentioned on twitter we'll bring sergio in here in a second sergio mentioned that alvaro morata is probably going to score 50 goals this year so on that note let me first bring in chucks hello chucks
2: hey gents um, i'm not going to lie as you were speaking i i actually have to google Kandreva really played for us, because I, I genuinely forgot. I, I actually <laughs> I genuinely forgot. I was like, are you joking? And I like Googled it real quick while you were talking. And you obviously were right. So yep. there you go.
1: Yep. I was I was the one who's like, oh Antonio Kandreva. He makes sense to keep for the future. I mean, he was in his what early 20s back then. And then of course Juventus sent him right back to Udinese. Anyways, the man who said st- said that Alvaro Morata will score 50 goals. Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio.
3: Hey, Phil. I mean, give or take. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but you know, something <laughs> around that number overall. Give or if, take 50. That's like saying but, give or, I mean, take or take 500. <laughs> but I mean, he got another call for offsides, which was a nice, you know, little thing for him to to kind of keep up the pace he has right now. So that was kind of fun. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the dude is on a, it's going to heal right now. Like it's, it's really, I mean, it's really fun to see, to be honest, regardless. He'll put if 50 into Spain the back of not. the net. It doesn't, sorry, Sergio, I interrupted you. I just thought you were done. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, It's, it's fine. You know, the, the thing is like, it, he really is like, I, I was one of the, you know, I, I was really hyped for him to go to come back to Juve and even like in my wildest dreams, I would have seen the, the start he's having. So it's really fun to see, regardless if it's with Juve or with Spain, you know I mean? It's just really fun. He'll put 50 into the net. The question is whether they'll all count. Well, that's true. At this point, how many has he scored, like, overall? Like, like 12, 13? Like, I mean, with, with the offsides, obviously, uh, you know. Like close. 13, 14,
0: someone's like, 13, right? tra-
2: 14? Someone's got to be tracking that. Just someone.
0: And he has three in one game. It, what, it, What? the the count for him is up to, what, six or seven now?
2: I mean, off the top of my head, it's got to be something like, yeah, six or seven Yeah, offside,
0: And he like, scored what? six goals, so –
2: like yeah, that well, actually 13, counted. Yeah. That's insane. So, yeah. yeah. For club and country.
0: For club and country. Yeah. Well, no, just for club, so it'll be even more. It, it's well, seven yeah, now with yeah, the Spain goal yeah. today. But yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> Well, speaking of international breaks, uh, obviously it's interesting times where we've got Juventus players, I believe it was 15 of them, going out on international duty. And in case you guys have forgotten, there's still a very dangerous pandemic going on. And I will I'll steer it to Chuck's right away since this was a Chuck's talking point that he wanted to hit on right away. But uh, just kind of how weird is it watching, say, you know, maybe your home country, Chuck's Netherlands. And then also like, well, we could be seeing the players we just watched testing positive for COVID-19 in a matter of days. And then that's obviously going to impact the club side of things where for who knows how long seeing as you know we've seen different players take different amount of times to actually shed the virus completely
2: yeah and just before I start on that um just a moment for Liverpool because wow they've had a just horrendous international break I mean they've I mean they've lost essentially their entire defense just their entire defense wiped out and then plus I believe it was Henderson as well so I mean you know I, I, I'm bringing this up and I'm not even a Liverpool fan. I would be just livid if I were. And uh, Salah Liverpool. too, right? Yeah, Salah. It's funny. I was reading about Salah. Uh, apparently he his was at his brother's wedding. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, again, allegedly. So I, I, I know I can't say too much on that. But yeah, I mean, so I was reading in the Slack channel as well that, you know, we have for all the SB Nation people. Uh, but then also, you know, just online, just Generally, I kind of try and follow just the general temperature of conversation um, in the football world, but specifically about internationals. And, you know, this has been, I think for as long as I can remember <laughs> being a football fan, this has been like the perennial discussion of like, you know, club football will be going on, Champions League, great, great. And any the international break and people will be like, well, I, I'm not going to swear, but, you know, people will scream all kinds of profanities about the international break and you know we'll hate it and just fair enough for somewhat justifiable reasons. But I mean I wanted to bring up the discussion because as always Tim Vickery kind of put me onto this one. So I know Hey
1: that's that's the first Vickery reference <laughs> in weeks. <laughs> drink, it's a prank. It's been a drink. while. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, mean, I might actually have a glass of wine later. So. <laughs> I might actually.
1: You and me both brother. Because why not? Why not? <laughs>
2: Um, but yeah, he said, you know, he one of the things he said was this, the difference in, in in sentiment towards the international break in South America or Brazil, specifically for him, versus in Europe. And he says this, like, the the difference in emotion towards it is so starkly different. Like, in South America, they generally, anyway, I mean, obviously not everyone, but like, generally they really look forward to the international break. At first, I thought, does that really make sense? But I thought about it a bit. I thought, you know, it probably does make sense because think about it. I mean, if you're like, let's say the Bolivian uh, top division or something, I mean, mean, with all respect, obviously, to the Bolivian uh, league, it has a pretty small crowd. I mean, nobody, few people watch it. But, you know, if you're playing for a Bolivian national team and then you're going to play against Brazil, wow, you're suddenly on, like, you know, the global stage and people are suddenly watching you. It's like, that's like their moment to shine, you know, that's their moment where they really have that attention. And I think generally, I mean, okay, I'm going to speak slightly just on my opinion here. It does seems to be more of a pride of playing for country versus club for smaller nations. Because again, I mean, it's like their, their domestic divisions or club football is just less glamorous and their international football. That's where all the glamour comes from. But also, so that's one thing, you know, just kind of, I think that the hatred for the international break is generally kind of a Eurocentric, you know, sentiment of like Champions League slash Europa League loving people are, are, or or club, club football in Europe. They are generally the ones that dislike the international break more because they see it as an interruption to the true football of like, you know, Champions League and Europa League and Premier League and so on. So, you know, okay, I understand that, but just kind of as a reminder, just to, to think about that, think about the fact that that might be kind of a Eurocentric view. But then, So the other thing is like the financial aspect of it. And I mean, I was trying to do some research on it. I couldn't get real good numbers on it, but I remember listening to either a podcast or reading an article about it, that, you know, small football federations of smaller countries, you know, the Bolivias, Perus, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, tiny like countries around the world, They get most of their revenue from internationals, which makes sense. I mean, they're, you know, they're leagues. They're not getting 5 billion pound sponsorships like the Premier League does. They're getting most of their money from these internationals. So for them, it's kind of a lifeline to have these friendlies. And, you know, it it did make me sympathize a little bit more, especially during COVID. Now, like maybe sympathize a little more towards why they would want these internationals more. Because obviously there are more countries that are struggling financially, like, like, you know, Italy, England, Spain, Germany, and so on, like those financial juggernauts, I mean, they're the exceptions, not the norm. So, you know, that that did make me sympathize a little bit more with them. Just think like, okay, you know, this money that they're getting, and they're not using it for, I mean, well, obviously FIFA scandals aside, they're probably not gonna use it for, you know, (laughs) massive yachts or anything. And bribery, probably uh, probably should leave that. It's not on the up
1: and up. What are you talking about? (laughs) Are you, are you trying to say that the Faroe Islands are not, you know, embezzling money to to get a couple of new yachts, trucks?
2: Well, this is a, an SB Nation podcast, so I can either confirm or deny these allegations.
1: <laughs> so help me God. <laughs> so
2: <help me> <laughs> but, you know, like that type of money is obviously only used to just fund grassroots level football. And like, you know, again, Bolivian League, Peruvian League, Costa Rican League, like, you know, money that they get from those internationals is used for probably mostly for youth football. So, I mean, I think that's what the main reason I kind of wanted to bring that up just to have a little bit more sympathy for the internationals. That said, I do think it was a fundamentally bad choice to have three games instead of like the usual two during an international break. I think that was just deathly, like, just frankly inhumane you know, to, to play that many games in, what, a seven, nine day period or so, something like that. I mean, that's, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't justify that. So, you know, kind of two sides of the argument, of course, like that, but then also the sympathy side of it. I
0: think one of the other reasons that the international breaks are are looked on differently in South America is that because, you know, World Cup qualification in South America is a three year long process. Like, South American clubs aren't really playing a lot of friendlies. Like when they go to international breaks, their games count, like almost all the time. So, so I, as opposed to, you know, the, you know, the big question, both this international break and the last one, especially considering, you know, last time we went on the international break, Cristiano Ronaldo ended up missing three weeks for Juventus because he got COVID while he was traveling across borders. Should this be done in the middle of a pandemic, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to justify. And, you know, looking at the, the front page of football Italia right now, I can see one El Cid Hisai now with COVID, like all sorts of other, you know, so many guys. And this is when we're talking about right now, at least in Europe, a competition that matters how Exactly, with the UEFA Nations League. Like, I don't often quote people connected with Inter in a positive manner on this podcast, but but Beppe Marotta yesterday or the day before this, we're recording on Tuesday evening. Yesterday or the day before was talking about, you know, I I, I get I get it if you know with the Euros with the World Cup, okay, that's like something, but when it comes to competitions that really don't mean anything why are we doing this? Why are we taking this risk? Both in terms of COVID exposure and like you said, Chucks, the fact that everyone is playing so many games jammed so tightly right now, you know, from now until Christmas, it, for a a competition that ostensibly eliminates friendlies, but like, what does it really, especially this time around, like, okay, you want to use the, 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 this nation's league to like, you know, give, give, Smaller nations, a path into the euros the way they have I mean those were some of the only games that I really paid attention to during this international break, apart from keeping a side eye on Italy were those euro qualifying- fi- uh, playoff finals, but this time around i mean i don't quite un- i don't quite know how those are supposed to tie into World Cup qualifying, but I can't imagine it'll be to the same degree that they tied into Euro qualifying because it's less, it's fewer slots. And, and again, you know, you're with, with second, with second waves and depending on where you are in the United States, fourth or fifth waves (laughs) popping up all over the place and really taking hold. You know, we were just talking before we went on air, how here in, in New Jersey, where I live, they've, You know, there are new restrictions. My job is implementing some new restrictions as well. It just seems to me like in this particular time, with this particular set of games, it wasn't a good idea to do this. You know, if we were playing FIFA qualifiers or, you know, World Cup qualifiers or like qualifiers for an actual tournament, then i'd maybe feel differently but for an in, the second edition of an invented tournament to try to make something out of nothing where where friendlies used to be i'm not certain that this was that that the risk is worth the product
3: Yeah, I think I agree 100% with you. Like, I get, like, especially in Conmebol, which is the South American, you know, qualifiers that Chucks was referring earlier. Like, they're actually in World Cup qualifiers. There are a bunch of nations in that qualifying round. So, I mean, I I get they have to start really early to kind of, you know, to do their whole thing. But but again, like, I just don't, I mean, and I do get it. This is just a whole hypothetical because it is money. Like, there is really no other reason why they're doing this. It is money. It is TV rights. It is TV contracts. They need to put something on TV and and they have to do it, right? I mean, we were talking earlier, you know, Mexico right now is playing a bunch of friendlies all over Europe. Uh, they played Korea. They played Japan. They played Algeria and the Netherlands, I believe. And, I mean, that was completely unnecessary. Like, they're not in any sort of qualifying thing right now. It was just one of those things to kind of, you know, see the team perform together. And it was entertaining. They did pretty well. But, I mean there's not a whole lot other than just fulfilling their TV contract obligations. There wasn't really much purpose to the games. And, you know, so far there hasn't, I mean, a couple of guys got injured, non COVID related, but they got injured. So that sucks for, for Atletico de Madrid, for example, which Hector Herrera, who plays for them, he got injured. So he's now out for, you know, an undetermined amount of time for, for games that look, I'm, I'm assuming that for you know every national team, more games is better. they can get to try out new players and you know they kind of get to get ready for their qualification for the World Cup or whatever but exactly like Sam was saying, at this point, you could probably do without it you know from a competitive standpoint from a money standpoint, they have to do it you know earlier this year they had a a friendly Mexico had a friendly schedule against Costa Rica here in mexico city and Costa Rica pulled out because of COVID, uh, you know, fears, I guess, and they just kind of called up El Salvador national team, which, you know, all disrespect to El Salvador national team, no one wants to see those guys. I mean, they're, you know, (laughs) they're a level above, you know, amateur dudes. I mean, it's just like, no one wants to see that game, but they had to pull someone in short notice to like, we need someone to come here and play Wednesday. And they were like, sure, we'll go. And they played it and no one watched that game, but they need something to fill the, the TV slot, you know? So I guess, you know, that's the cynical way of looking at it. They need the money. They need the TV rights. They need to put something on. And that's why they do it. Whether or not it's a good idea, that's up for debate. But as long as, you know, the main source of revenue for football is those TV rights. I mean, I think we're pretty much stuck with, with international breaks as, as they're currently you know, constitute.
2: By the way, Sam, I think that was probably the most diplomatic thing you've ever said. (laughs) I usually don't quote people that are ever, that are related to. (laughs) I
1: I guess if you're going to have one exception, it'll be Bep. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) that was extraordinary (laughs) diplomacy.
2: (laughs) So I just wanted to point.
1: it's.
0: I guess it's, Fond memories. I still wish he was with the team, but like with, with you, but uh, I also felt that he ha- he made a, a really good point in that, in, in that statement, you know, regarding the year. Cause I mean, Inter has been waging some some PR wars with with all the national teams. Uh, this, this thing with Alexander Kolarov, for example, has been really interesting where, you know, Serbia was in a, one of those World uh, Euro qualifying playoffs with Scotland and ended up losing in penalties, and Inter had been basically banning Kolarov from playing because he'd had a slight injury before the international break, and the coach wanted to put Kolarov on in the 119th minute, and apparently he refused, and and then didn't take the uh, you know didn't take a penalty in the in the shootout, but you know again that's that's just. Like you said, Chucks, the way that the way that Europe regards international breaks, there certainly is a disdain there between you know the snide comments about FIFA virus when you know one of the bigger teams you know drops something right after a break to bigger questions like when was it a year, two years ago, two seasons ago? It was it had to have been two seasons ago when. Ronaldo was playing for Portugal and pulled up with a, with some sort of a thigh injury Every And it was not long before the champion bore for a champions league game and everybody's face just hit the floor. When you're talking about Juventus, like something like, if something like that happens on an international break, the teams, the, the clubs go crazy because, the cl- because in Europe, you know, like you said, in, in places outside of Europe, internationals are really where the money is in Europe, where the money is, is club football. I mean, if anything, if the Premier League shows you absolutely anything, it is that.
3: Not only Europe. I mean, there was a minor kerfuffle, kerfuffle. You know, there was a minor. Excellent use of kerfuffle. uh, Here in Mexico, when, you know, a bunch of clubs were complaining, you know, in that passive aggressive way, all all of us Latin Americans are, you know, great at, of like, loaning players to to the national team, you know. I mean, I think every club, or I, I don't know, every club, but most clubs, you know, outside of those examples that kind of Chuck's mentioned, you know, maybe the, the, you know, the the smaller countries, but I think most of them don't really like loaning guys out to the national team, but they kind of have to, you know, and it's, it's hard to to strike that balance, you know I mean? You know, minor example, but the the Mexican league playoffs are starting next weekend and the starting center back for one of the teams got injured in, you know, the international break and now they have to play their, you know, their one-off game. In, on Sunday without their first choice center back because he got injured on a honestly quite meaningless national team call-up, you know? So that type, those type of things happen in Europe. I mean, they happen everywhere. And I don't think, you know, most clubs are, are happy about, you know, just loaning guys out in the middle of the season, especially when, like in the Mexican League, the calendar is just terrible and they decided to schedule the playoffs right after a national break, an international break. You know, it's just, I think it's just one of those things that I, I don't think anybody, nobody likes it. That's a bright idea in scheduling. Who came up with that? <laughs> you know, they have a lot of bright ideas in the Mexican League headquarters. It's just good. Just, they hey, just come up,
2: someone, someone's got to be the idea guy, right? You yeah.
3: consistently come up with good stuff. I am smart. SMRT. I mean, SM. <laughs> they decided to expand the playoff field from 8th to 12th this year. In an 18 team league, which oh. is <laughs> pretty much, I mean, just invite everyone to the playoffs. So it's like the NBA, it's, basically. Yeah, and even where then, the playoffs
0: are meaningless because more than half the teams make it. Like
3: Even then, my beloved Puebla FC made the playoffs in 12th place in the last. All right. Season. So I was, I was really excited about that. Yeah, I was like, yes, <laughs> because I would have just stopped even caring. They couldn't make the playoffs in a 12 team playoff in an 18 team league it's like come on now
0: kind of like me in baseball right now that kind of like how that's going with me that's
2: (laughs) i think something similar happened in argentina though i think they expanded the league from like 20 to 30 teams or something like asinine stuff like that It was really i think that was like last year or two years ago something crazy like that but no, Sam, I mean, I think uh, in quoting, um, you know, someone related to Inter, I'll leave it with that. No, I mean, I think that's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm in two minds about it because on one hand, like, I probably do agree with the fact that, okay, if you're going to do internationals now during all, you know, everything going on, at least let it be only be like, you know, World Cup qualifiers, Euro qualifiers, Euro playoffs or, you know, Asian uh, uh And yeah, World Cup qualifiers around the world and stuff like that. So, you know, on one hand, I yeah, I I do think that. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, you know, Champions League and Europa League are still being played. And there you have teams in like, you know, Russia and like, I mean, uh, you know, where else? Greece. uh, Where's Kostnodar? I think Ukraine. I mean, all kinds of, you know, all kinds of countries over Europe. And, you know, a lot of travel is still involved with that. So then I'm like, you know, that's still happening. Um, and that's also international, you know, travel and that, you know, players are still traveling there, but yeah, like you said, I mean, that's, those are not friendlies, you know, those that's champions league and Europa league, of course. And that, that you know, there's stuff at stake there. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm really in, just really in two minds about it. It, it. It's just hard. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just all about trade-offs and it's like, okay, do the, do the potential benefits justify the risks? yeah i mean it's it's just hard to say
1: i mean looking at it from a juventus point of view we've got you know say somebody like weston mckinney who's with the u.s men's national team because of everything they were basically playing their first games together in a, a year and then you've got some europeans who are playing you know nation's league games other are just playing friendlies and then you've got a small group, I think it's three of them, with Bentecourt, Arthur, and uh, I'm blanking out on the third one. But um, Daniel, they the GOAT. The GOAT, that's right. My man. <laughs> and then – And they, the
0: comments explode. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> well, they, they've gone to South America, and I'm just looking it up right now. Uruguay is playing Brazil. Arthur, by the way, scored a goal in the first half. And they've, you know, gone halfway around the world to play a World Cup qualifier, where on the other end of the spectrum, you've got guys playing Nations League games, which is basically, as we kind of, it seems like all agree, is, you know, mostly a money grab at this point. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you've got different circumstances for different internationals right now. And that's kind of why it's like, okay, well, Bentancourt, Arthur, they're playing meaningful international games, whereas, say, Juventus's european contingent who knows how important really outside of money is uh, the nation's league so that's kind of where i'm going back and forth where it's like do i want rodrigo bentecourt and arthur flying halfway across the world during a pandemic where you know obviously they're going to countries which are probably in just as bad shape as italy is right now no but you know it seems like if they have to go going for a world cup game would make the most sense right so i don't know
2: and i think the problem is as well like with with the euros being expanded as well that means you know more more countries qualify into you know the euros which means there's a greater probability of more meaningless games being played in qualifiers because it's like hey if the top three qualified and it's like well you know <laughs> there's less like at stake it's yeah it's just a whole conundrum i mean it's it's really tough and, and the world cup as well has been expanded so then you have that too uh, yeah i don't know it's uh there's just so much under, like, so much under the under the surface there that it's, you know, and I I think that's again why I brought it up. It's just I, I felt like there's so much under the surface just of international games that since we had nothing really else to talk about today, I thought it would be good to, to bring that up.
3: It's one of those things, like, like you mentioned. I, I think that was that was the key point, right? If you already decided that you're going to take the risk on allowing Champions League and allowing Europa League and allowing all this international travel then you can't really say, well, that's fine. But then it's too risky to have an international, right? Like, you know, everything is risky. Like if you already, you know, made the moral compromise to, to have those international games, then you have to be okay with this ones too. Not that I am agreeing with it, but you know, that kind of is the, the the, the logic there, I guess, plus the money. I think the money is really like the key thing here. And, you know, just to play devil's advocate for, for a little bit, you know, I, I I also don't really like the international breaks, but they also, if you want to take that fuddy-duddy, you know, kind of best view of football, they do bring the game to a lot of places that, you know, might not see high-level football. I, I remember when I was uh, living in Switzerland when I was 18, they brought a game, this 2011, so Spain had just won the World Cup, and they made, they had a friendly in Switzerland, which was Spain against Chile for no reason whatsoever I mean Spain versus Chile in Switzerland like that made no sense but it it was I I was lucky enough to to attend and it was a great game like it was a legitimately good game I think Chile came back to beat Spain 3-2 or something like that but it was a legitimately great game and I got to see you know all the pretty much Spain you know the, the team that won the World Cup and you know all the great players that Chile had at that point, you know, Arturo Vidal and Alexis Sanchez and whatnot. Like, it, it was just a great opportunity to kind of grow the game and really bring those high-quality players and high-quality games to to places where maybe, you know, you don't get to see that in a regular basis. So, you know, if you wanted to make a, you know, like I said, like a optimistic, romantic view of this international breaks, they do bring a lot of high-quality football to places that would not – get that high quality football often so i think that's i mean you know that's also kind of like a, a good thing to you know for fans in a lot of places that might not get to see that often
0: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
1: That is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
2: want to do another stomp you out speech.
0: It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: We'll transition to a little bit of Juventus-centric stuff here. We are recording on Tuesday. We've actually got a little bit of news coming out of Turin earlier in the day and that is what I think all of us were hoping for is and waiting hopefully patiently for was the return to full training of Matthias Ligt and Alexandro so finally finally so here comes the Dutchman with a Superman cape back coming <laughs> coming through that's Chuck's <laughs> Chuck's gives the pow and zing and all my man <laughs> Yeah, I mean I I think it's safe to say their return knowing that as they come back two defenders are currently injured in Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Bonucci who knows how long Bonucci is really out for seeing as it seems like his diagnosis is a little better than was originally thought. So, yeah, Delict obviously is huge. Sandro maybe not as crucial seeing as Delict is, you know, arguably the third best player on the team, but yeah, just for, for the panel, what, what do you think? I mean, how much are you looking forward to seeing Matthias Delict in the center of Juventus' defense again?
0: Lots. Um, (laughs) You beat the Dutchman to it.
1: (laughs) I did. Um,
0: But let's, I mean, just, I mean, being real here, even though Juventus has for the most part been pretty solid defensively, I think we mentioned in the last episode, Juve's, Defensive record, I think, is what second best in the league. Second best, correct. It, it's still, you know, to have a guy like Delict in that team is, it, it just gives you even more confidence, you know. Especially when, you know, I mean, if he, you know, when when somebody's running down the middle of the field and Delict is facing them up. It, it inspires a little bit more confidence these days than if that person happens to be Leonardo Bonucci, you know, with that little twinkle toes move of his that he likes to try that Danny loves so much. It's uh... a, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, any, anytime you get a, def, you know, a defender who has a legitimate case is maybe the best central defender in the world right now at least active with Virgil van Dyke out for a relatively extended period of time with that knee injury, it will be, it will be a really great help. And frankly, I think Alexandro even more, I'm going to be, I'm really excited to see what he does as that in that left wing back position. It's a good timing for him coming back too, because Federico Chiesa, we, you know, he trained separately today. We still don't know what what his timetable might be with that muscle injury he picked up right before the Lazio game. So being able to fill that spot with somebody who's much more naturally inclined to it than somebody like Juan Cuadrado or Dayan Kulusevsky or Bernadeschi, you know, cause I, God, I don't want to see him there again. The poor guy. Said he, his name with such
2: disdain. Oh it
0: wasn't disdain. <laughs> it was sadness. It was cause I, I just, you know, watching him play everywhere he shouldn't play. And then he plays in the right wing position that he's meant to play in whenever he gets to the national team and does all of the crazy crap that he has been doing this international break. He's been amazing. This international break He scored a goal. (laughs) He scored a goal. He's (laughs) been making all sorts of key passes. Like he's, I mean, and it just, it just makes me sad for him because that that's, that's the player that everybody thought we were buying. And whenever he puts on the blue shirt, he does, you know, he, he turns into it and it's because they use him right. And we've never used him right here, but yeah, having Sandro in that left, that left wing back position, which has been a little bit devoid of production. I mean, you know, Frabotta that first, the first game against Sampdoria Frabotta was a big surprise. He's, he's kind of tailed off. But you know, the one game Benonadeski had over there, he got yanked out pretty quick. It it's it it makes things seem a lot more solid than they were. And I think it'll be a good it it'll be a real boost to the team, especially having one of the, the senatori and leaders of the team in Alexandro back. I mean it's it's easy to forget that he's won what six of these titles now five 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 i think five yeah you five. lose, you had, lose he's,
1: count he's, sometimes damn it
0: i know <laughs> you had your own there's so like, many <laughs> i know like you know chiellini is the only one left that's had all of them but
1: yeah, he, you know
0: like, like like I, th- I think you mentioned it at the end of uh you know when when we had the trophy day the podcast right after the trophy presentation for for last year's you know there is a whole gaggle now like dibala sandro and who, and somebody else who have fi- who have five all over again, you know, who joined in the middle and now they've been, and now they're at five. Seeing them, you know, seeing that kind of experience back on the on the field, especially at a position where there hasn't been that much experience that, that kind of experience this year, is going is a really good thing for me.
3: That fifth, by the way, Sami Kedira. That that's another dude who came into that like in the middle of that run. And he now has five, too. So, you know, good for and, him.
0: And he contributed to maybe three of them. Uh, <laughs> hey,
3: listen, listen. He, <laughs> iron sharpened siren. He's still there. Like, he's training. You don't know. You don't know what he brings to the table in the background.
0: God knows if, he, God knows if, we, if, if a bunch of guys end up getting COVID over this break, we may end up having to use him.
3: <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I thought. Like, I mean, I, I can't believe his dad washed that he can't go out there and play one game but whatever that that's for another time but yeah I actually you know Sam pretty much like he he took it out of, right out of my mouth I think you know Alexander to me is the biggest you know it's going to be an even bigger impact than the lift and I, I'm super happy to see the lift back I think he's like Sam said a top top center back if you can bring in that guy to your squad at any point that's that's going to be an upgrade but you know the fact that we finally have a, a guy who we know can perform at a high level on that left flank is, is going to be a game changer for, for Andrea Pirlo because, you know, we've been trotting out dudes who, you know, it's just not their position. They just don't know how to play there effectively. And you can't necessarily blame them that much. That's, like like I said, not their position. But to have a dude who just knows how to play that position, who can, who can just solidify that flank for once, that's going to be huge. And I think that's going to allow Andrea Pirlo to finally kind of have the full deck of guys at his disposal and really, you know, start to figure out how he is going to play moving forward. I think uh, Hunter had an article on the site, I think, last week talking about this. And, and, you know, if anybody here hasn't read it, I, I recommend you, you give it a give it a look because I think it's really good. I think it's it's just going to be it's just going to solidify a position that has been kind of like all over the place early in the season. So I'm really looking forward to having Sandra back. And I mean, again, and I'm, you know, I think Sandra is going to be the bigger impact, but you know, the that's the top five at the very least center back in the world to just kind of be able to, you know, throw that guy in there. That's going to be massive. That's going to be huge as well. So I'm actually really looking forward to to
1: seeing those two guys back and for Cuba football to, to be back. All right, Chucks. wax poetically about your man.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm actually going to uh, agree with Sergio here and uh, actually argue that Sandro is the bigger return than the lift and indeed agree, agreeing with Hunter's analysis and yeah, Sergio's analysis as well, but uh, with Hunter's analysis in his article uh, a few days ago, I was just looking, I just pulled it up. Yeah, just a few days ago. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, just to shamelessly basically steal Hunter's argument, um, because, again, I mean, I really do agree with it. You know, having someone that's actually a defender, A, on the left side, and and B, a defender that, you know, is, I mean, just positionally very smart. And, I mean, he is a good defender, Um, Alexandra. I mean, of course, he can attack pretty well. But, I mean, I think he's one of those rare fullbacks that can actually attack and defend <laughs> which is uh, becoming a bit of a rarity these days it's always I, I feel like fullbacks have become very lopsided very much towards the you know, if they can just bomb forward and attack and then, ah, I mean they can't really defend but whatever they can bomb forward and attack which I don't know speaking of trade-offs of you know risk and reward I guess if they're providing you know two three assists per game you know does it justify not really being able to Uh, Defend? I don't know. Another discussion for another day, I guess. But yeah, no, I think having an actual defender on the left side there, instead of Kies, I mean, Kies has done well on the left side, but I think just he's, I mean, he's not a defender. Like he's not a, you know, fullback. He's not a defender. I think that Kies on the left is, is nice for the, you know, playing against maybe lesser sides. But I think if you really want that defensive solidity, especially with the fact that we have so much attacking force on the pitch at the same time, you know, with DiBala, Ronaldo, Kulusevsky, you know, just all these really very front-heavy players. I think having Chiesa on as well is maybe a bit too much on the front heaviness. So I am, you know, very glad to have Sandro back. And, of course, we saw that the Cuadrado experiment didn't really work on the left. And Pabota, I mean, again, he had that, as Sam said, he had that good first game and then tilled off a little bit. So you know, kind of back to basics. It feels like having, you know, Sandro really there and just solidifying that left side in hundred percent in his natural position. And of course, the glad to have him, especially given the injuries injuries uh, in defense. And just the fact that, you know, I just don't know how much longer Chiellini has left in his career. I mean, I really hate to say that, but I really don't know how much longer he has left. So, uh, you know, glad to have both of them back by the. Uh, Especially to our Brazilian friend
1: pose this to you Chucks. obviously you're a lot more familiar with the i x youth setup than than we are here since you're the actual Dutchman delict in a back three do you think that's something that he's at all familiar with or has the last few months, even though he has been training is is something that he can he can i mean obviously he's good enough he can adapt to it, but do you think that's something that he can? you know he there won't be kind of the growing pains that he uh that he dealt with last year when he first came to Juventus.
2: I mean from what I know and just knowing the Ajax system but from what I know I don't think De Ligt has ever actually played in a 3 man backline. I think maybe a few games here or there for the Netherlands but that was kind of sporadic. Uh because you know Ajax follows kind of the same philosophy as you know, well, shocker as Barcelona does in the sense that they have their formation from the youth in the senior side just be all the same. Like their system, their tactics, their philosophies, the entire same throughout. You know, youth all the way up, which you know makes sense. Streamlines, streamlines everything, and their system is four-three-three. So you know obviously growing up then he played 433 with Ajax uh, in their youth system and then all the way are they
0: um, a 433 i thought ten hag used a 4231 or is he changed? Yeah
2: i mean since recently yeah and again that's the same thing with with Guman now being at Barca you know he's kind of changed it as well yeah it's enough, yeah he did change it up a little bit but traditionally it has been 433 and then yeah i mean recently he has changed things up which i think was really due to necessity of just having like you know what was it the leave? Uh, the young leave, uh, who was it again as well? Um, another test leave as well. I mean, just basically everyone leave at the Zeech same time. Leave too, yeah. yes yeah, that was it as well. Yeah, see, left as well. And you know, just having everyone kind of leave at the same time. I remember, it was an interview, yeah, it was not last year, but I think the year before that. This summer, basically, where all of them left at the same time. Where uh, Ten Hag, yeah, I mean, he did just say, like, you know, we're going to have to change the way we play because we've just ripped out the core of the side uh, all at once, which I feel like happens basically every summer for ups really, which is just a remarkable thing. I mean, just think about like export clubs like that. First of all, how they, like how they survive. I don't know. I mean, how they do it, just constantly churning out all that talent. But secondly, you know, where does all that money go? I mean, they get like bucket loads of money. I mean, the Jong went for $75 million. Uh, the league went for what was it? Also, 75, $80 million. Eighty, yeah, eighty million as well. And I mean, all the other players. I mean, Zish left for well, not as much. I think Zish didn't leave for as much. But I mean, just throughout the years, just like throughout, you know, three, four, five years. I mean, probably yeah. into
0: getting all those young players to then just keep on flip. It's yeah, a, it's gotta be yeah. yeah. It it's I and I wish that that kind of money would you know or effort would go into the Juventus youth system because we've been you know you know, I've, I've harped on this, you know, briefly before I, there's, it's always been, it, it's always been a passion, kind of a passion project of mine. This, the, the, the fact that the Juventus youth sector has been so unproductive for so long. It's actually a, it's, it, it's something that I'm, I'm working, you know, one piece that I'm working on right now that might be up by the time this podcast airs. Um, You know, just talking about how, the team has been a little bit lacking in depth in certain areas over the last couple of years. And, you know, that's something that you can maybe get away with when you're building a squad. If you have a productive youth system like Ajax or like La Masia, where, you know, guys are, are frequently promoted and, and can produce relatively significant minutes. You have that, uh, that Uruguayan kid who, who, Started against Barce- uh, against uh, against us for Barcelona uh, Arujo Arujo, I think was his name. You know he was an academy product, but when your when the when your youth sector is so unproductive, and you know just to underline that point, there are two players in the last in this century that have come out of the Juventus youth system and actually had a serious impact on a first team season. One is Claudio Marchesio, the other is Moisa Kane. Those are the only two guys. And Kane got sent off in a plus Valenza move the year, you know, the year later, at, at age 19. Maybe if you want to semi say Jovinko also counts in there because of the second the second run that he had, but, you know, we'd bought him back from Parma, so I don't know if that counts. And Chiellini but, was
2: at Livorno, right? He had started at uh, Livorno. Uh, think, Chiellini right?
0: came up in the Livorno-U system. We bought him from Fiorentina.
2: Oh, okay. All right,
0: yeah. Which a lot of people forget. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another
1: one to hold over Tito, right, Danny? Uh, yeah. That's right. Before the Federicos <laughs> were bought, it was the Giorgios.
0: But, you know, we, Juventus have – compared with a team like Ajax – or even a team like Barcelona, who, you know, the, the PEP teams were built on a La Masia core. And I know that, you know, having that kind of a bumper crop coming out of your youth system that's all that good at the same time is very rare. But the fact that Juventus doesn't even produce decent role, squad role players out of their youth system, or at least, or at the very least doesn't give any of the players a chance to become that before they sell them off for money, is in my opinion a, a real ser- a really serious deficiency in how the club operates. And, you know, they need to, you know, that right after we signed Ronaldo, there was that big financial times article about Agnelli, where he said, you know, next time we'll buy, you know, Ronaldo when he's 22. I was like, well, why don't you, you know, why not find your own Ronaldo and bring him up through the Academy? And then he doesn't cost you anything. And yes, that's a, that's a shot. You know, that's a one in a million shot, but you know at least you'll maybe find one guy that can really really you know if you find a guy that can at least contribute you got to use that and it's you know this team the team just never does it and then you end up with situations like what you were saying Chucks when it comes to injuries that Juventus only has two healthy natural center backs when the system the coach uses needs three it boggles my mind sometimes how the, that, that seems to just not happen.
2: Yeah, I do agree. I mean, with, with a caveat, but I do agree with, you know, your frustrations because it's been a bit of an annoyance for me as well. Just looking at the champions league uh, squad that we submit and you know, how you have those restrictions with like, that too. Yeah. That's been really annoying. That like, I, I, that really grinds my gears because you know, yeah, because I don't then you can't kind of,
0: anybody qualifies.
2: Yeah, as yeah home as grown homegrown grown. on our squad right now. Maybe is it I thought there's one person I can't I can't remember. I it's yeah, it is it's right yeah, yeah, yeah That's thought, who yeah, qualifies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> our, right. our, cheerle- our cheerleader qualifies as homegrown. That's uh, <laughs> kind of Carl. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's been a real frustration for me because I remember I think the year it, it got on my radar was when I think it was don't had to be excluded that one year and basically I mean it boiled down to like if we'd had like one or two more homegrown players it would have been fine and that's when I started to get on my radar and think like oh wow this is really an issue actually with with Juventus like not having homegrown players but and, and I don't mean this facetiously I, I just genuine question I really do wonder if that if well a Juventus but b like big clubs in general frankly even care about their youth uh club, like youth sections uh their their academies I should say and I mean, I, the reason I say that I'm not being facetious with this is because, you know, you look at clubs like Ajax, they're, you know, they're export clubs. Essentially, they, you know, they groom all this talent and they sell them for, like, you know, the young, the uh 80 million, 75 million, you know, a lot of money. But that's their model. You know, they groom them, you know, like uh, sell them for a lot of money and then just produce more and more and more. But I think the big clubs like Manchester City, Juventus, Real Madrid, Manchester United, etc. I think they just they have so much money. They they can afford to pay top top wages in the market. So again, I'm thinking as a club as as a big club it's like okay, if I can afford to pay those big wages, does it make sense that I'm use my resources to groom my own talent when I can just buy them myself. You know, and like I th- I, I again, I don't know if that's their thinking, but I mean, that's that's just my thing. Like, you know, it's getting its trade-offs. It's like, okay, if I use my resources to groom talent, but if I can just pay for it myself, then does it, does it justify using those resources for, you know, talent that may or may not come off rather than a more sure thing, like, you know, buying a, I don't know, the Jung, the Licht, Sieg, or, you know, Timo Werner, or just any kind of like, you know, proven talents, uh, if you will. So, I mean, I really, you know, that, is the genuine question i i wonder you know what people in the comments will think about that but yeah who knows
0: but even those teams that you mentioned like you know manchester city has phil foden in their team who has come through their academy and is looking like a really good player and pep Guardiola is using him a lot more you know manchester united marcus rashford uh mason greenwood guys that they've been giving a lot more minutes chelsea chelsea was forced into it because they had that travel ban but all of a sudden you've seen like a bunch of promotions from the chelsea youth chelsea's youth system that have been playing significant minutes at that level for two years now under frank lampard juve doesn't even have like the one has it doesn't even have one t- like that they don't even have the token academy product on the in the in the first team that but i wonder that, if those that's cases. where i think that's like like at least the, like the big clubs at least have one.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, but I wonder if those no, cases Real Madrid, are...
0: even like you, have, you Real Madrid has Asensio in there when he's, I mean, he's he's not healthy right now. But like, yeah. you know, there's always the one, you know, in the big ones, and it, like, like I said, it's it, it, the, the there, there's at least one dude who's at least a role player and sometimes more on any on anyer, you know, of these bigger clubs, and Juventus seems either incapable or unwilling. Of to do that and in and like you said in a lot in some cases with the champions league roster it's to the detriment of the team and I just it 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 blows my mind every time
3: i think, and you know obviously we haven't seen it you know recently, but you know I think it's fair to say that it's not often that a team is completely home built so i and especially, I think they've been doing a lot of efforts into into that area. I think they've signed a bunch of guys who, who they've assigned to the under-23 team, which is, you know, which plays, I think, Series C or something. So, I mean, I think they've been doing efforts to do that. It's obviously one of those things that are just not, we're not going to see the results right now. I think the investments they're doing right now, we'll probably see in, I don't know, five, 10 years, you know, especially, you're not comparing ourselves to, to Ajax or to Barcelona, which have you know, so many millions and so many years invested into that youth system, I think it's it's a bit, you know, I, I don't think we're we're going to get there in, in any uh, short amount of time, you know, but to kind of pick up Chuck's point, this, you know, and I don't want to sound arrogant here, but we have so much money, you guys. I mean, look, I know it's all make-believe money because when you actually look at the financial statements, we're like losing money and whatnot, but what's the point of really building that youth system when you can i mean every time there's been a talented italian coming up the ranks with the exception of you know sandro tonali i guess which was a whole thing in, in juventus land but when bernardeschi started being good we bought him when chiesa started being good we bought him even dudes like you know back in the day like bonucci he wasn't really a jute product. we got him uh buffon who is now one of the all-time legends of the club well we got him we paid a lot but you know we 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 got him i mean it's a little arrogant to say and i understand that and you know obviously at some point that might not be the case in the future but i kind of agree with chucks i mean if you can't afford to do that all the time why kind of build out your own system and and you know kind of like invest in that if you can just be the big bad guy and just get dudes right like we're the new york yankees of italian football i mean if you can have a farm system that's awesome the, but if you don't I mean it's not the end of the world and especially the Champions League we've been getting through just fine get Pinsoglio in there have soon. we like, yeah I mean for the requirements and the requirements you know you just get Pinsoglio in there and then before it was like Lugani and just like your fifth center back will be the guy you know I mean I, I just I I, I I think when you're a Juventus when like it comes to Yeah, Sorry,
0: sorry. No, finish your point. Finish your point. I'm sorry.
3: You know, when you're a big club, and again, I'm just being such a dick right now. I'm assuming that (laughs) every Italian fan hates us exactly because of this. But when you're a a club like Juventus, like Real Madrid, like, you know, the, the big clubs, if you can have a strong farm system, that's awesome. And Juventus has had, you know, big time players come through their youth system. Not currently, but they have done that before. If you can have an awesome farm system, cool. That's great. That's awesome. If 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 you can't, I don't think it's the end of the world. And I don't think it's something that they're super worried about overall. And I don't think they should be overall. I mean, I think if, if you can have it, awesome. If you can't, then I think you can get through just fine. Like they have been doing. I disagree
0: with you on... I disagree with you on one point where you say you say yes we are the we are that team in Italy. We are not that team in Europe. we don't have that kind of money on a continental level to compete with the Bayerns and the Real Madrids and all of the English teams. you know most of the you know the teams that get relegated out of the Premier League get more TV money than Juventus does that that's where i I think when it comes to the youth to the youth system and making the youth system more effective that's where the difference i think would end up coming even if it's you know even if it's slight but we when it comes to europe and it comes to the champions league juventus still needs to moneyball this crap because you know we've tried it with you know we've had two years with ronaldo it hasn't worked <laughs>
3: I know, I get that. Um, I, I definitely get that. But I, I just don't see how having a strong youth system is like a, like, d- don't get me wrong, I do a- appreciate the point that, you know, it's definitely important. But, you know, I think that's just not going to move the needle when it comes to that financial disparity, which I agree we have, but that's more of a leak thing that than anything else, you know, I just don't see how the jute system really comes in play there could you get a couple cheap dupes? Yeah, maybe, but you know, what if you don't? I mean, it's a whole thing. And I think we're running long, so I don't know if (laughs) if we should, you know, just, just cut it right there. But I I just, you know, I, I like being the New York Yankees of of Syria. I will say that that's funny. I, I, I appreciate that. And we'll just keep buying your dudes overall in, in Italy and just bypass the whole, having a farm
1: system type of thing. Which is ironic because which baseball team do you refer Sergio?
3: Yeah, the Red Sox. That's why I hate the Yankees. <laughs> but it's, it's fun. It's fun to be the big bad guy in something, you know. It's, uh, it's fun. Every other also, really you know, the not.
0: also the Yankees are, you know, the, the the big figurehead of the Yankees right now is a homegrown player in Aaron Judge,
1: but we won't L- even literal, you know. literally, and figuratively. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, we'll wrap things up here. Twitter questions. Unfortunately, didn't have many this week, so we decided to go without. But uh, as always, you can send them. If you have any, to at Juventus Nation on Twitter. You can find us on on Facebook at Black and White and Red All Over. can subscribe to us, like us, all that good stuff. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Won't read one this week, but uh, you can do that by also searching Black and White and Red All Over. You can find us on uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts. So, yeah, for Sam and for Sergio and for Chucks, this is Danny saying stay safe out there. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week after some games. Games again. Hooray, hooray.